0: Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston, and this is where we drill deep into two things. The first, as always, the market for oil and diesel, two vitally important cogs in the U.S. trucking and transportation sector. And the second, we drill deep into whatever we want to talk about. And we're going to have Chris Henry, the Vice President of Profitability at Freightways, with us in a few minutes to talk about trucking company survival strategies in the age of the coronavirus. But first, we do want to talk about oil and diesel, the lifeblood, but also a source of demand, How many trucks service the oil patch? It's hard to say, but let's just think for a minute of what we know is needed in the U.S. oil, in the U.S. shale play. We need lots of trucks to frack a well. More than a thousand truck trips is a number generally viewed as a pretty good barometer for the number of trucks needed to drill one well. That's one well. One thousand plus to drill one well. That is bringing in equipment. It is bringing in water. It is bringing in personnel. It is bringing in frack sand. And what's going to happen to that business now after a truly historic collapse in the price? The best barometer of activity in the oil patch is the rig count. I know some people think it's got a lot of flaws. It does, but as a fairly simple number to look at, it's probably not too bad. There are two main rig counts out there that people look at. One is the rig data numbers and the other are from Baker Hughes. Baker Hughes is the kind of more well-established. I can tell you that rig data comes out a little earlier, a little early, earlier than Baker Hughes. And I've just gotten full week numbers from rig data. They're down 69 rigs in just two weeks. That's a drop of about just 8% in two weeks. And in the last year, it's down about 20% and it is only going to get worse. You know, about a week ago, I interviewed the owner of a Texas reefer company, Shane Redline. He heads Jax Transportation. That's J-A-X Transportation out of Amarillo, He talked in a story that was published on Freightways about how he went looking for drivers from the oil patch who we figured were looking at unemployment, and he wanted them to help fill his needs. He hired about 50 of them. He really needed them, of course, because the demand for his services to restock stores was just overwhelming, and so he hired a lot of them. He said he still ran into a few of them who... You know, they wanted to stay in the oil patch. They were thinking maybe things were going to get better. But right now, it's not really looking like it was going to get better. So it's not going to last, though, even for these drivers that are looking just to restock stores. How long is that going to go on? Then what happens to these people who are going to be left on the sidelines by the collapse in the oil patch? You know, it used to be in the U.S. that a collapse in oil prices was an absolute good thing. Yes, it might hurt the oil sector, but the oil sector was pretty small in terms of its share of the U.S. industrial economy. It isn't small anymore. The U.S. now exports more total petroleum molecules than we import. It employs hundreds of thousands of people in good-paying jobs. In New Mexico alone, about 30% of the state budget comes from oil and gas revenues. With the boom in oil and gas in this country, a price collapse is no longer a clear good thing. It's a very mixed picture. For the trucking sector, it's always been set up to just try to pass through diesel prices. So in theory, lower prices are supposedly a wash. You know, it doesn't always work that way, though, of course. In the past few weeks, it's probably certainly been good for some trucking companies' bottom lines. Diesel tr- prices have been dropping faster than any sort of surcharge can keep up with. But remember, that can reverse sharply. And when it does, now it's a terrible situation for truck drivers. The trucking industry windfall from lower diesel is always a short-lived phenomenon. In other sectors the crude oil collapse is part of a broader problem with the industrial sector. Let's look at the stock of, da- of Dasky, big and flatbed, which means it's got a lot of industrial company, co- industrial customers. In the last 3 months, its stock is down 48%, Knight Swift in contrast is down 9.3% during that time. Excuse me. That that Dasky's drop is 48% in a month and Knight Swift is down 9.3 during that time. The market is reflecting the problems that Dasky's is going to have in serving a sector, oil and gas, that's flat on its back. And no pun intended, talking about Dasky and talking about flat on its back. We talked a few weeks ago with my colleague, Zach Strickland, about how diesel prices and freight rates have a history of moving in tandem. That relationship is going to get tested now like it's really never been tested before. Can the freight market really get as weak as the market for diesel, which is caught up in a historic collapse in demand that, and really not not just a historic collapse in demand, but a price war between two of the major suppliers, Saudi Arabia and Russia, that price war and the collapse in demand has sent the price of benchmark crudes down toward the $20 level. Even if that doesn't happen, even if diesel doesn't drop along with the price of oil, let's note here that there are a lot of corners of the trucking world that are going to be facing some tough times now with the collapse in oil prices. Maybe they can find some more opportunities like those drivers who joined Jack's Industries to haul food around, restocking the nation's shelves? Let's hope so because they are going to need it. Next on Drilling Deep, we're going to talk to my colleague, Chris Henry. Chris is the Vice President of Carrier Profitability with FreightWaves. He manages the TCA profitability program for the uh, for the Truckload Carriers Association. And uh, tomorrow, as uh, we're taping this on Thursday, but tomorrow he's hosting a webinar called Financial Navigation in Uncertain Times. Boy, that is a very apt title. And I know you came up with it fairly recently because, Chris, first of all, welcome to Drilling Deep. And secondly, you're doing things differently than you have been doing, aren't you?
1: Absolutely. And yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, our whole business model in the last week and a half has been upended. Uh, so what we typically do is we talk and uh, about, you know, lagging financial and operational results. And that's changed. It's what are companies doing today uh, to stay afloat to keep their drivers safe. And really, the it's all qualitative as opposed to quantitative.
0: Okay, so what what do you think are going to be some of the main topics on this webinar? Can you give us a preview?
1: Yeah, so the webinar is really uh, talking about some main financial things that you need to be looking at today, um, and also some leadership and best practices from a communication point of view. Uh, the main thing that we want to get out to everyone today is, uh, or tomorrow, is uh, you need to create a sense of urgency. This is this is something that you need to address today, even though it's difficult. Um, you, you have to. Uh, quantify the situation. You have to understand uh, where you are relative to a potentially worst case scenario uh, that involves looking at your debt situation, uh, which can vary dramatically be from carrier to carrier. uh, And then also opening lines of communication with people. So the main theme is going to be, you know, this could be a good learning experience when times get better. um, So you can maybe implement More open book management styles, but drilling into the financial things, debt will be the big thing. It's being proactive with your lenders, uh, building models to restructure or defer some of payments. That's going to be a big, big uh, issue in the next couple of weeks for many carriers. Um, the other thing is maintenance. Maintenance is probably the uh, thing, and I've mentioned this to you before, John. Is the uh, is the department or area that many uh, companies have a massive opportunity to, to drive profitability. So things in the short term, like if you know, if you normally do sets of things like sets of tires, brake pads, those kind of things, uh, or, 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 or discs, you're doing them uh, one at a time to save some costs, doing consignment for inventory. Uh, basically practical steps as opposed to theory. So we want the user or the audience member to come away with five to 10 to 20 things that they can implement next week and put themselves in a better position than they were uh, uh, at the beginning of the week.
0: Well, clearly you're taking a longer term view because right now by some metrics that are out there, things are pretty good. We know that rates are higher. We know that volumes up until a day or two ago were screaming higher um, everything right now looks good in trucking because not certainly every sector, but for large sectors of it, you know, the drive-in business carrying food, uh, consumer packaged goods, reefers carrying food to restock the shelves uh emptied by voracious shoppers. Um, Is that masking a longer term problem that, you know, we've got a good times roll here for another week, another two weeks, who really knows, and bigger problems down the road? Is that the way you see it?
1: Uh, Yeah, so the I wouldn't say those things that you're seeing in the data are lagging because it is real time, but it's the conversations that carriers are having with their um, with their customers. So, yes, the reefer groups, the refrigerated carriers are seeing the benefits of that demand surge. Same with van operators that haul consumer goods. But um, essentially what's being talked about now is due to commercial activity slowing down because of you know, the statewide and, you know, maybe down the road, federal situation depends on how things roll out. But uh, that that is now starting to filter through to conversations that shippers are having and manufacturers are having with their carriers and saying, hey, we're probably going to have to cancel those. We're starting to hear that. So what ha- ends up, will end up happening is uh, those people, those flatbed operators, those van uh, carriers that perhaps maybe are hauling auto parts, are going to try to reposition themselves to haul some of those essential goods. And that will unfortunately drive rates down. And it's, you know, the big talk, you know, with, within the market is how, how much rates have gone up. But the issue is you now have unbalanced networks. So carriers, because this disrupts their entire network, carriers are now having to price loads, uh, assuming, you know, half of the, uh, the round trip is going to be empty. So that's why it's been a hit to perhaps some shippers than what they're used to. But the carrier themselves aren't making any additional profits at the end of the day uh, if they don't have um, round-trip freight. And a lot of times because of the, the, the shifting of the network patterns, that's not occurring. So that's I probably had 50 conversations in the last seven days about that particular topic.
0: Yeah, because right now the demand is to just get me this certain type of good um you know packaged goods that kind of thing get it to this warehouse distribution center now and and that's all we care about so yeah. the chances of them having a, a decent uh, a decent backhaul is probably pretty slim
1: yeah and that's that's what uh, another part is people trying to find uh brokers or other partner carriers or members within tpp that have may have some freight to go the other way and I like I'm I'm kind of flying blind in that regard because we never really get into the transactional side of things. It's but trying to help these carriers out. We're, we're trying to do whatever we can to uh, keep these companies afloat.
0: So when do they think that this kind of rush might end, that the, these good times that are as, as you as you know, they're not unadulterated good times. There are a lot of uh, asterisks on here. But when some of these good times are going to end, how long is it going to go on for?
1: Well, I think you're starting to see in some of the sonar data, that volume start to drop off. So that surge demand kind of uh, falling back and people mm-hmm. kind of getting used to this new normal, if it's going to be three weeks or six weeks or whatever. So that means some of the, uh, the general volume is going to drop off. That was driving uh, you know the, some really high uh, capacity for, uh, for the refrigerated and, and the CPG uh, carriers. But um, with that too... Uh, you combine it with the the diminishing diminishing commercial activity for um, the other sectors auto parts you know the flat battered guys the bulk and tanker guys are all start, also starting to report issues uh, in addition to that you know the 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 situation in the uh, mm-hmm. with with the oil fields um, we have some carriers that um, are dedicated uh, carriers for um, companies like you know, Halliburton and Slumberjay and those kind of companies and they're starting to see dramatic drop off. So um I think it's it's in the next week you're gonna see some pretty alarming things happening. Uh in that situation.
0: Now, what? You know, what you're, you're head of the TPP, which is the Profitability Program, so you've got a pretty good eye on how profitable companies are. Obviously, we know how profitable the big public companies are, but let's, let's face it, that's only a, a relatively small share of total capacity out there. This industry did not enter this crisis in particularly solid shape, at least from the outside, it's, that's the way it looks. You had a lot of companies that were going out of business. You had a lot of companies that were just screaming about the burden of insurance costs, which we talked about here last week on Drilling Deep. Uh, How weak or how strong is the industry going into this to to face it?
1: It, It's on very poor footing. Um, Very few companies, when you do a full accounting, uh, made money in 2019. So, uh, you know, in the the trucking industry with slim margins, you don't have a lot of retained earnings that you can kind of coast on for a while. So, I think um, if this goes on another month or two and there's not sufficient um, funding, uh, you know, whether it's through the government or through, um, you know, private lending to get them through this uh, this poor time, then you're going to see a lot of people uh, either walk away from the business so liquidate um, or uh, perhaps become insolvent. Uh, so we feel that we have the best of the best. So um, the best of the best in the in the within what I call the mainstream of trucking mm-hmm. reporting their data, and it was a very poor year. So if you extrapolate that, and again this is a hypothesis because we don't have the data, but if you extrapolate that to the the general market with the smaller carriers. Our average size carries 167 uh, trucks. If you get into the 15, 30, 20 truck guys, they got the insurance issues. They got uh, this now, uh, especially if they're not in temp control. Um, Then you have the oil situation, which uh, outside looking in, they you know most people will say, well, lower you know diesel fuel uh, rates are are good. Well, actually, depending on how their fuel surcharge program works, they actually could be losing money because of it. So, I think there's going to be a lot of carriers, and I can. I'm not actually thinking this. I know this. There's just too many carriers just fed up. There's so many variables that they have to deal with. They have a little bit saved up for retirement. They're just going to walk away, and you're seeing that happen not in just in trucking, but I know two. I only know two restaurant owners in in, in, uh, in, in, in totality, and each of them um, have said they're using this as the way to get out. They're you know this is they're done. They're they're fed up. Uh, They were fed up before this, and this was the motivation to get out. So I think you're going to see a lot of that um, psychological uh, push uh, to get out of the industry, which obviously will increase or decrease capacity, which will maybe provide some better rates for those uh, remaining.
0: It's interesting because restaurants, there always seems to be another person you know, one, one restaurant closes down, there's always somebody ready to build another one, right? A lot of people's dreams are to build restaurants, maybe not as many uh, to build uh, trucking companies. And I know we, you know, we at Freightways have covered several stories where the reason given for why the company shut down, oh, the insurance is high, this is high, tough to get drivers. But otherwise, they're just saying the same thing, like what you said, you know what, I'm 72, my kids don't want to go into it. And this is a tough business. And Chris, we missed you down at the TCA meeting in Orlando a couple of weeks ago. But I think at one point I tweeted it out from there that that was the motto of the meeting this is a tough business yeah and, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and, and you know you've seen a lot of that and it hasn't gotten any better really in the last you know year and a half
1: no I think the the, the model in restaurants is uh, you have a better a higher probability of robbing a bank and getting away with it than you do having a successful restaurant so if you can do really well in that you're you're a good operator and I think you can use that same motto within trucking it's tough and it's getting tougher Uh, and, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I think that's going to drive a a different dynamic the, the rest of the year.
0: Still with these higher rates, let's come back to the short term, uh, with these higher rates, you've seen any signs that are bringing some drivers back into the market.
1: Um, I think the structural barriers to that are, um, especially on the, with the larger carriers, they've had to scale back their, their orientation classes. So typically they, they get an app. They do the screening. They hire, and then they bring them in for between one to four days of orientation. And sometimes uh, they're bringing uh, that that driver in, um, you know, uh, from out of state. So that's a big no no now. And then even out of county, that can be a big no no now. So so they're they're scaling back the sizes of their orientation orientation classes. Let's say from ten down to four or less. Um, and then some are actually starting to report that they've just put a, a hiring freeze on for now until they can get the financial things uh, settled out. And if they lose some drivers, uh, they 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 may, but they, they need to understand uh, where the market is taken before they make any more. Um, even though some people feel these are kind of uh, scale up as you need and scale up as you down, you're actually making a commitment to a person. And I think a lot of the carriers take that really seriously. So they don't want to be... Um, making a commitment to someone that they're going to have to kind of retract down the road.
0: Yeah, these are not like hiring widgets, you know, in economics Sorry. class, I would talk to you about units of production or units of consumption described it in widgets. But as you point out, these very much are human beings. So okay. let's go back to a point you made earlier, uh, again, for your webinar that's coming up. You talked about kind of 15 to 20 points of, you know, what has to be done now. So what are some of the things that the TPP profitability program are, uh, are recommending right now to, to drivers and not to, to drivers, but to, to owners, some of the steps they take?
1: Well, I think if you did a, a survey, actually, I know this because of our work uh, on the financial side of things. Many companies aren't doing really detailed cash flow analysis. Uh, so, uh, especially when they get involved in our program, their their P and L, understanding their variable versus fixed costs, what their debt coverage costs are, and those kind of things, it's something that it's an afterthought. They're just super good operators, and all that stuff kind of works out. What we're trying to uh, push Especially right now, and hopefully it translates uh, down the road uh, for the industry is uh, get into um, ag- uh, you know b- building out forecast. So instead of looking at balance sheet, look at your cash flow. Look at you know the last four weeks and the and kind of project that out the next eight weeks, and uh, then kind of do some sensitivity analysis on you know what's what's the the expected. Um, uh, flow. What's the worst case, and what does that do to our debt coverage? Those kind of things, and that will then inform how you strategize. Something that I think is the most important thing for a carrier is those discussions with your lenders. If you have the data and you can show that you've you've applied some uh, some thinking and some science to the data, they're going to be more open to discussions. So. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's in the company's best interest to to do that. Uh, the other thing too, uh, there's depending on how your insurance is structured, you may be able to reduce uh, what they call minimum earned premium uh, calculations uh, that you'll have to uh, pay. Um, so basically, there's a threshold where regardless of how many miles you drive, you, this is the amount you have to pay. You may be able to negotiate with your insurance partners to get that reduced. As I mentioned, maintenance is a, is a big area. And then next week, we're going to get into some more of the operational things with regards to your network and and perhaps some pricing activity that you can do to uh, you maybe um, improve on the top line. But create a sense of urgency. You, you got to do this now, not not a week from now. You got to do it now. Uh, set up those meetings with the lenders. If you're not having the the discussions or proactively seeking out the discussions, my because I've had lots of history in this and in, in my previous career, they're making the assumption that you're not paying attention. So you want to be on, you know, the good list with your lenders. Uh the other thing that one of our partners that's going to be on the call is mentioning is if, if you're not borrowing or if you're not doing the, the your banking with your primary lenders, consider doing that because that also does influence um some of the decisions they make as well.
0: That's interesting. So they've got, they've got a primary lender in in essence, their lifeline is, is enormous. Not that it's an enormous line, but a very important relationship, but then they keep their money somewhere else. Yeah. That's, that's probably just uh, personal relationships one-on-one, I would think.
1: Absolutely. That, that, that works in business and in personal, you know, financial situations, The, the more you have the better. I know that can work the opposite way, especially with equipment, but, um, you know, we'll see some of our best performers have one primary and one backup lender, uh, and some of these carriers are you know a couple thousand trucks.
0: All right. well, wish we had a little more time, but we don't, so I want to thank Chris Henry of the uh, vice president of Freight Waves in charge of the TCA profitability program. That's it for this week on Drilling Deep. We are part of the freight cash family of podcasts from Freight Waves. I'm John Kingston. Please join me again.